0: of the sly hooper podcast brought to you by the blue wire hustle podcast network i know i said i was going to do a podcast when i came back from vacation uh last wednesday went to seattle for the first time uh wore my niner mask proudly in enemy territory there were dozens of us i swear um but it was a fun trip um had a great time with longtime friends, friends that I've known since elementary school. And it was it was really just a blast, a must-need, a much needed vacation. Haven't had a long vacation like that. I guess I've only been to two trips. I've only taken two or three trips really since the pandemic and everything was shut down, and really only started well, last summer. I went to Sparks, Nevada for a friend's birthday. That was really the only time I went anywhere during the pandemic. And then this summer was really the first time where I actually had some plans ahead, given that I was fully vaccinated. But anyway, I was planning to do a podcast when I came back from vacation. I was going to do one Sunday to release on Monday, but full disclosure and don't want to get too personal for a minute here but um it got a call from my parents and um unexpectedly our family dog passed away and uh haven't really been in the right headspace to even do a podcast or do anything really much less do a podcast could uh it's really tough to concentrate through work but um don't want to go to any, any details or anything, but, um, was pretty much an emotional wreck. And, uh, when I moved to Sacramento, I, uh, to transition, um, to transition the move, cause I was coming from Northern California. I moved in with my parents for about a year and a year and a half. Um, and, uh, they have two dogs. My parents do. I live, I live about 20, 30 minutes away from my parents and, uh, they have, they had two dogs. Um, and those two dogs, uh, it was, it was basically an inflection point in my life where I didn't know what was next in my career. Um, didn't know exactly what I was going to do. The transition plan didn't exactly go as planned and it was a rough spot in my life and those two dogs got me through it and one of them passed away unexpectedly on sunday and it was really rough i don't live with my parents anymore but obviously i still visit them and saw those dogs quite a bit and um it was just it was rough for the uh for the whole family and it sucks losing a pet is never easy especially when it's you know a bulldog and bulldog temperaments are if you know the temperament of a bulldog they're very happy dogs they're very friendly always look at the owner like like they're the best thing in the world they just don't have a negative thought creep into their head they just always walk around like today's the best day ever and again not going into details of what happened um just the way she went out was rough and really hadn't been in the right headspace for the last few days um but I feel a lot more solid the dog her name is Roxy she lived a great life even though it was even though it was a five years um a five years uh of it she lived a great life and um yeah it it was just it was really rough this past week so I didn't do a podcast but I feel a lot better um still stings obviously um but you know there's no right way to say it I guess but I guess life moves on I guess the that just feels like such a incomplete and inconclusive way of saying or moving on from something that has been a staple in your life but I guess life does move on and at that point you know pets become a member of the family especially dogs I love dogs um come around on cats over the years even though I never had a cat growing up but um I've had a family dog before growing up it was a chocolate lab um and uh You know, that, that one was different because, you know, pets will, pets will, uh, they're obviously not, you're obviously going to outlive the pet, whatever pet you get. But with the chocolate lab, when I was growing up, I knew, you know, the end was coming and not to sound morbid or anything, but I was going off to college and I knew before I left home that it was probably going to be the last time I was going to see, uh, my dog, my chocolate lab. And, you know, it, it it was one of those things where you knew it was coming and you were kind of more at peace with it, but this one was just kind of unexpected. So I was kind of, uh, you know, shook by the whole thing. Um, but you know, I feel a bit better now. Um, and there's no easy way to transition from it, but that's why I haven't, I know I said last pod I was going to do a pod once I came back from vacation. Was planning to hit the ground running with uh, the podcast. Now that uh, I got my new work schedule. Or not new work schedule, but my new set of tasks at my job. With iHeart and all that stuff. Uh, I was really planning to hit the ground running with the podcast and the, and the YouTube channel, which is how Sly Hooper originated. But... um then that news hit, and, you know, it sucked. But, you know, um, that's life. Things happen. Roxy lived a great life. And uh, bulldogs are the best things in the world. And, um, you know, there's no easy way to transition from it. But we're going to move on to a more happier topic. But um didn't want to get too personal for a second but that's kind of what's been going on but um let's uh let's talk NBA finals rest in peace Roxy so now we have ourselves a series well I kind of figured that this series was going to be a long series between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns the Bucks tied up the series last night 103 to 109 to 103 At Fives or Forum in Milwaukee. And now we are at least guaranteed a game six. I picked Suns and Six originally. I know some people I know thought that this was going to be a quick series. I never really understood it. I have been a critic of Coach Bud. Like every other person who likes basketball and watches basketball. Has been critical of Bud in the playoffs. But I still didn't quite understand why people thought this would be a quick series. I know uh, my co-host uh, Chris Okamura on Box Out Banter picked Suns and 5. I know um, one of my one of my best friends thought it was going to be Suns and 5. Uh, some people thought that this was going to be a quick series and I was like, yeah, the Suns I think the Suns were the better team going into the series, but the Bucks have clearly the best player in the series and it's not like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are chop liver. They are pretty good themselves, even though I made a video the other day that Drew Holiday has been basically putting up offensive shooting numbers like Eric Bledsoe of Ghost Past. Even though. That's maybe oversimplifying it because Drew Holiday has been really good as a playmaker as well. But in terms of just shooting the ball and shot selection and, you know, time and place for everything, Drew Holiday, for the most part, I think has been terrible, especially the last three the last uh this this finals, the Eastern Conference finals, aside from I think game five. That crucial game five, uh, without Giannis. And then of course in the series against Brooklyn, but but the Bucks have been resilient, and I just didn't understand why people thought this was going to be a quick series. I thought the Bucks had a legit shot at this series, but I ended up picking Suns and Six. I still think it's going to be Suns and Six, but I do acknowledge that we are probably like two Giannis Atacumbo games, dominant, more dominant games away from this going seven, and then at that point anything happens. But game four last night was The classic that we were all looking for and I I have to say I've really enjoyed these finals I know the first three games the scores haven't been indicative of what you at least on paper of what you think is a close series but I find the strategies intriguing I find the lineup choices intriguing I find how the Suns have game plan for Giannis game to game have been intriguing how the Bucks have used Giannis game to game have been intriguing how Giannis has kind of morphed his game and has embraced basically being the center for all intents and purposes even when Bobby Portis is out there on the floor with Giannis Giannis is functionally the center but we finally got the classic in game four and it had everything it had Devin Booker bouncing back from a really just putrid game three. It had Chris Paul summoning game five of Clippers Oklahoma city in 2014. I think it was of a Christmas past for Chris Paul, especially with that crucial turnover in the last uh, 50 seconds of the game that led to the Middleton layup to put the bucks up four with about 45 seconds left. But this game had everything and Giannis was and I say this I guess kind of tongue-in-cheek but Giannis didn't have the typical dominant game that we've seen from the last two games he just put up you know a mild you know 20 pulling up the stats here Giannis put up a mild 26 14 8 three steals and two blocks you know not as not as dominant you know and I say that jokingly of course but Giannis was dominant um, but had to make a decision early. Brooke Lopez didn't have it, so he rolled with Pat Connington, who was the unsung hero, and has really just been a archery target for Buck's Twitter because he has been bad for most of the season. He's had some bad playoff games. But boy, did they need Pat Connington? And he's been good in this series, you know, relative to his l- level as a player. He has played his role well. But yesterday he was really good, plus twenty one. Three of seven from three. Hit the crucial three-pointer in the fourth quarter to put the Bucks up, I think, 97 to 95. Uh, basically gave the Bucks the lead for good. No, not for good. The Suns did end up taking the lead, but that kind of broke the dam open to get the Bucks, you know, back on the other side of the scoreboard and, you know, make it a coin toss game in the last two minutes but more importantly Pat Connington had three big offensive rebounds he had nine total and they were all huge they all felt really huge like huge rebounds but he was a plus 21 and of course I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Giannis had one of the more spectacular defensive plays I have ever seen in NBA Finals history whether it be LeBron's block whether it would be you know LeBron's block again when he was with the Miami Heat against the San Antonio Spurs in uh, the 2013 Finals. Um, there has been some incredible Finals plays, especially over the last 10 plus years, and 10 years and change. But Giannis came up big with the biggest block in his career. And if the Bucks win this series, that's going to be there. Is a really cool. There's been a lot of cool pictures posted. Phantom cameras from the NBA, professional photos of this play but Devin Booker lobbed it up to DeAndre Ayton after coming off of a dribble handoff PJ Tucker was draped all over Booker Giannis was playing both the man and the ball because Pat Connington was hugged up I think it was on Jay Crowder and Booker threw up a you know off the bounce off the dribble risky but really smart right-handed lob pass to Ayton and I thought it was a for sure dunk this was after Chris Middleton hit a I, it was a right elbow jumper to put the Bucks up 101 to 99 and right back down Booker comes off the dribble dribble handoff from DeAndre Ayton. Aiton's rolling to the basket Giannis is playing up a little bit more but then he makes a great recovery Aiton catches the lob at the top of the circle, and I thought for sure it was going to be a dunk, and Giannis met him at the summit and blocked him and saved the basket, and that is that was one of the more ridiculous recoveries, one of the more instinctual defensive plays I have ever seen. It it was just, it was spectacular all around. And Giannis just had, he had his finals moment. And Giannis has been absolutely dominant in this series. And I'm not going to overreact to, you know, I really think literally every basketball podcast and every discourse you hear when you're talking, when people are talking basketball, it's just, I feel like it's just people getting mad at Twitter all the time um if one person says something that means everybody that means somebody thinks that everybody is saying it like it's almost I'll give the most common example if somebody's like and people say Steph Curry isn't a great shooter and it's like okay but who's really saying that like Giannis does kind of get a little bit more flack than a lot of other players do and yeah, I understand he has some holes in his game, but the dude's a flat out superstar. He's a two time MVP, defensive player of the year for a reason. And I've always been a huge fan of Giannis. Even I, I was one of the front runners, and I have a video of it on my Sly Hooper YouTube channel. I was doing backflips when Bud got hired because it was like, okay, the offense is going to open up more. Jason Kidd is out. I really was one of, like, I was probably. You know, obviously Bucks fans didn't know it and I deleted my Twitter by then, but um I deleted my Twitter by then, but I was one of the, you know, main guys who wanted Jason Kidd fired and now funny enough he has a job in Dallas and doesn't deserve it whatsoever because he's terrible at being a coach. Um, but you know, I guess he sees the game the same way as Luca, so that's why he has it. But anyway, um been a huge fan of Giannis and he has been dominant in these finals and pulling up the numbers really quickly here I mean these are okay so these are just comical numbers 32.3 points per game 14 rebounds per game five and a half assists per game nearly two steals per game one and a half blocks per game on 61 percent shooting from the field and I'm not talking about true shooting percentage which I'm sure is also equally absurd. I'm talking about 61% from the field. The Suns have no answer for Giannis beyond DeAndre Ayton. And even then, Giannis will have a lot of moments where he just runs right through Ayton or, you know, screen and rolls to the back. And Giannis is scoring in a variety of ways. And that's where you can notice that he's made a couple of changes in his game and you know this this is where the Bucks experimentation all season kind of paid off they were experimenting with switching a lot more playing Giannis off ball more instead of being point Giannis where everybody was hoping he would develop a three-point shot at some point in his career he's embraced being the five which by the way that's something Anthony Davis should do um screen and rolling to the basket mixing in the dribble drive still um cutting Posting up, I mean, it's not like Giannis, I think the don't have a bag Twitter jokes are, you know, they're jokes. I don't take them too seriously, but it did kind of get out of hand because, you know, Giannis does, he, you could see during the season that Giannis was polishing some of the rough, rough edges of his offensive game. Like he started using his hook more. He's now, he's starting to take a liking to that post up fade away from about 10 to 15 feet out. Um, and he's just mixing stuff in and you could tell he's kind of reached a new level as a player and he is doing it on the biggest stage. And yeah, I know I've been talking about Giannis for about 15 minutes, it feels like, but I mean, it's warranted. He's been incredible, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Chris Middleton has ha- had a really good game for, and, um, he's absolutely worthy of you know being the second best player on a championship team and he basically matched Devin Booker point for point and then he came up big in the biggest moments of the game which was basically the last two minutes I think he had an 8-0 run by himself to put the Bucks up for good and it was the two-man game between Giannis and Middleton that worked out and game four really had everything it even had a awful just really just an all-timer no call on Devin Booker and I have a few Suns fans in my life but I'm just from the Buck side too I just don't want to hear any more about the officiating I am one to rag on the officials I I you know I think the officiating has been terrible over the years and I think part of it is because there's new blood coming in win terms of officiating so we're gonna have to get used to that for a few years and let the young officials get experience and get better at their craft but that still doesn't mean that they aren't terrible and that it's been a at some points it's Honestly, it's been an unwatchable product, and I know the basketball peers are going to be like, oh, do you really like basketball? Yeah, I do like basketball. I just like good officiating, too. Let the guys play. Stop calling the bullshit. Um, lean into the guy after you pump fake and you lean forward three feet foul, which I'm glad they're going to be legislating out during the summer, hopefully in the off season. But I don't want to hear any more about the officiating. Um The Suns are primarily a mid-range jump shooting team. And by the way, they took a lot more mid-range shots than I liked. I know they have Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who are two of the best mid-range artists in the game. But I think Zach Lowe pointed it out on his um, post-game podcast last night. The Suns, 53% of the Suns shots were mid-rangers. And that shot diet is just leaning a little too much towards mid range because the suns aren't getting the corner threes. They were getting earlier in the series. The bucks are switching everything more now. So there's not as much rotation. You're not seeing the corner threes for Mikel bridges. You're not seeing the corner threes from Jay Crowder. And by the way, low key, um, nobody it's weird. Nobody talked about this when Mikel bridges was drafted um, but they talked about it a lot with Markel Fultz, and understandably so, Mar- Markel Fultz was the number one pick in the draft. He was known as a guy who was a one of the best off the off-the-dribble shooting guards in the draft, but then his shot disappeared, so it was noticeable. But if you look at Villanova, Mikel Bridges, and Mikel Bridges when he first came into the league or when his draft workout videos were starting to come out, his shot was noticeably different with a hitch. And it's gotten better. And Mikel Bridges, I think, shot nearly 40% from three this season. And that's his uh, career high. But if you notice in the playoffs so far, and especially in these finals, yeah, Mikel Bridges shot 42% from three. And then in these playoffs, he has shot thirty-five percent from three. And for some reason, when I'm watch when I've watched the Suns these playoffs, whenever I see Mikel Bridges take threes that are above the break or on the wings, I feel a lot less confident that they're going to go in because he has to think about it for a second too long. He has to think about it one second too long. It the mechanics don't look as clean as opposed to when he's shooting them from the corner which is his best spot um I think in the finals and let me pull up his finals numbers in the finals he's shooting 35 percent from three but I would love to see his percentages from the the corners versus everywhere else because whenever he takes it above the ba- break three or on the or a three-pointer on the wing I'm sure Bucks fans might have noticed this too and I know Suns fans probably definitely noticed this there is probably you're not as confident as when they go in and Mikel Bridges is not cutting as often because the Bucks aren't in scramble mode as much in these last few games I feel um Mikel Bridges is also taking quite a bit more well these last two games he hasn't taken that many shots but some of them have been in the mid-range more um but there's just a lot of stuff in the Suns' shot diet right now that's just a little bit off. And maybe some of that will be rectified in Game 5. But the Bucks have been the best playoff defense for a reason. Um, they're right back in this series. The Suns, I have thought heading into the series, were the better team because they're a well-oiled machine offensively. But the Bucks had a shot because... They have size, they have length, they have athleticism, and they have the best player in the series. But going back to the refs, the Suns are primarily, and that's where my where my tangent kind of went off, we're talking about the Suns' shot chart diet. The Suns don't drive to the basket that often to get fouls and shoot a lot of free throws. Like the Bucks are a bigger, more physical team. They drive to the basket. Um, you're they're going to obviously draw more fouls and I don't think that's any fairness or I don't think there's like a question of fairness or evenness in terms of foul calling I that's just not how basketball works I thought the first two fouls on DeAndre Ayton in the in a uh, game four yesterday were really weak and really questionable I thought the first one wasn't even a foul where Giannis kind of spun into him and DeAndre Ayton was just standing right there and Uh, Giannis drew the foul I didn't think that was a foul second one was a was really questionable I guess by the rule book that's a touch foul but considering how the refs were letting both teams play up up until that point I thought that was really just a weak call Um, DeAndre Ayton got him foul trouble in game three despite being really good offensively in terms of shot making but and naturally, the more physical and bigger team is probably going to shoot more free throws. And that's just not anything that has to do with the refs. It has to do with the Suns being more disciplined. It's I know people want to say, build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. But people just don't understand when it comes to the wall, you need to have the personnel to build the wall. The Raptors in 2019, they have the personnel to build the wall. They had Ananobi, they had Siakam, they had Kawhi Leonard, they had Kyle Lauer. They had a bunch of good, solid defenders who were big enough to form a wall around the basket. And then the Miami Heat, of course, Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, Andre Iguodala, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc. You need to have the personnel to build the wall. But beyond that, the Bucks just needed to get rid of Eric Bledsoe. And I know Drew Holiday has been shooting like Eric Bledsoe outside of, you know, game, game three in the of the finals. Drew Holiday was great. But you at least have to still respect Drew Holiday. Like, you don't need to respect Eric Bledsoe. And even when Eric Bledsoe drives, you can really sag off him. And with Drew Holiday, you can't do that as much. And also, Drew Holiday is a way better playmaker. So when you have two guys like Chris Middleton and Holiday who can handle the ball and make plays um verse and you play Giannis off the ball more that wall is really hard to form and you kind of have to play a more honest defense or you have to really strain yourself to try to have the best of both worlds where you build the wall and then scramble out to you know wherever the ball moves but the Bucks got out in transition their half court offense wasn't as good until the last you know Three minutes of the game when it was basically just Giannis and Chris carry us home but um, Chris Paul have to say Chris Paul has been a terrible and that's because once again Drew Holiday and that's the other thing with Drew Holiday he's a way better defender than Eric Bledsoe even though Eric Bledsoe made second team all NBA I think back in 2019 with the Bucks Drew Holiday has Chris Paul in the seventh dimension of hell he did the full metal alchemist alchemy with the with the hand signs and everything and has just sealed him and Chris Paul the last five the last three games excuse me has 15 turnovers and had a really bad turnover in the last 50 seconds of that game like I mentioned earlier so the Bucks have been resilient man and uh, I've been really impressed with them um, despite you know even if Mike Budenholzer has his flaws as a coach and sometimes the Bucks will play dumbass basketball and you question why would you move away from the stuff that worked before. And it's not even a matter of the stuff that was working before was taken away because of adjustments from the other team. They just will flat out go away from stuff that was working sometimes. And. But, you know, the Bucs, you know, they they rode the wave of a rough first quarter they rode the ebbs and flows of the game they were able to I know the Suns were up nine at one point and then Chris Middleton hit a I thought he hit a big three I believe it was at the end of the first the end of the third quarter or early in the fourth quarter but Chris Middleton hit a big three to bring the Bucks back within six before the Suns really pulled it were starting to pull away and I thought the Bucs just—they hung in there, and they made sure that the lead. They didn't get too far away from the Suns. The Suns didn't get too far away from them, and they were able to—they uh, were able to, you know, walk them down. And it feels like the Bucks have figured some things out. Um, and it's not because they shot well or anything. I think they shot 24% from three and 40% from the field, but 17 offensive rebounds. And then seventeen turnovers from the suns and the bucks getting out in transition, it's the little things that the bucks are doing that have gotten them back in this series, and now we have a best of three and I know some people have said this series this finals hasn't been as exciting. I call it bullshit. I think this series has been very intriguing and exciting. It might not have the close nail biting games, but game the first two games they didn't feel like what the final score ended up being which i think was double digits both times um i thought both ser- i thought both of those games in phoenix were really good um the bucks did end up pulling away in the second half of game 3 and ended up winning by um by uh, 20 but it's been a really intriguing series and we finally got the classic that you know, we deserved, and uh, it's it's been a it's it's been a really really interesting series. And what's going to happen next? Well, I still have Suns in six. I am very aware that the Bucks have a great shot at winning this series, but I still got Phoenix winning this series um, in six, and uh, I think they're going to pull out Game Five. But really, whoever wins this game. And I know that's cliche and simplistic to say, whoever wins this game, I think is going, this game five, I think is going to win the series. But uh, I still got Suns in six and uh, we'll see what happens on Saturday. All right, so before I dip out, I wanted to talk about a anime that I had just finished watching. Um, It was an anime that came out, I believe in winter of 2020. I know episodes were still coming out earlier this year, Um, and I had never, I didn't get around to watching it because I was watching other shows. I'm on season five of the wire, which is fantastic. Um, I thought, you know, I wasn't going to like it as much because it was hyped up and all that stuff. And, um, you know, considering everything that's been happening with the topic of police and young black men and all of that stuff i really didn't think i was going to enjoy it as much but i've really really liked the wire i think it's better than i think it's better than breaking bad which is one of my favorite shows ever i think it's top three in my shows and i'm not like a ringer pop culture writer and shit like that i just like what i like and i talk about it and i give my opinions on it you don't have to take my word for gospel It's it's all right i'm not offended but um the wire is really great. Uh, I've also, you know, I was also watching attack on Titan, uh, before that season ended the greatest anime ever. In my opinion, um, I'm more of a cartoon anime, animation, art type of guy. Um, been really into animation since I was a little kid. Um, but the show that I just got done binging, binging Jujutsu Kaisen is fantastic. Would highly recommend first off just a 10 out of 10 first season. Um, a quick backstory on Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, well, actually, I started watching it when I was in vacation in Seattle with my with my buddies. Um, we had you know basically explored Seattle for two and a half, three days. You know, wanted to chill at the Airbnb for a second, and my friend who had just got done watching Jujutsu Kaisen himself wanted to show me and my buddy who lives in Seattle, um, the, the show. And we watched like the first six episodes, seven episodes, and it was immediately fire. I was hooked the first episode. So basically the basis of this show is of course, you know, a high school kid who ends up basically, and I'm not going to say how it happened, but He ends up getting this curse inside of him and curses are kind of like, I guess you could say they're kind of like demons or like ghost, evil spirits, so to speak. And he ends up being linked with this curse that's inside of his body. And there are these sorcerers in the world of Jujutsu Kaisen called Jujutsu Sorcerers whose main purpose is to use their powers, use curse energy to expel curses and it's a really cool type of different power system than you normally see in other anime. Um I know there's a there's a lot of power systems in anime like Dragon Ball Z, Hunter X Hunter I think has one of the best power systems if you if you will in anime how they explain how powers work and shit like that. Um but uh it was just a really cool and interesting show it's a show done by Mappa studios who just took over attack on titan for the fourth season and they have been even though they are overworking the hell out of their staff and i think one of their top animators a few of their top key animators have left the company because of unfortunately studios anime studios a lot of them unfortunately overwork their staff they don't have labor unions and things of that nature usually and they're being worked to the bone Um, but MAPPA has been pumping out anime, has been pumping out anime, really fire content and real fire, um, just movies that have to do with the shows that they're making. And they're really good with how they animate things. And Jujutsu Kaisen is really, their, their fights are just top notch. The cinematography, the choreographed, uh, fighting the characters in this show There's not one bad character in this show, or even if you hate a character or something like that, they all have great moments. There's, there's something with the pacing of this show where it doesn't feel too rushed. Cause you know, if you see a lot of shows or see a lot of cartoons or see a lot of anime, you usually know how some stories are going to start out, how the origin of a main character starts out or something like that, or how an adventure is going to start. But and I feel like Jujutsu Kaisen was self-aware of that, and they were able to get to the story without rushing it, but at the same time, not dragging it out and not making it seem like a repeat of the other shows of that ilk. And really, it's, it's just super unique. Um, It's 24 episodes, and all of them, all of them are great and the characters are awesome like I mentioned before even the villains are really cool um the characters up and down the board yeah there's a tournament arc like with every single anime there's a tournament arc but it's not like a cheesy one or a corny one or the ones that you have seen 50,000 times when you were growing up um but it's just a really cool concept and I'm really interested to see what it do- so i basically when i got back from seattle i started binging it immediately i binged it within a week uh all well i didn't binge it within a week because when i got back from vacation it was you know right to work and then you know the finals and basketball blah 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 um and i was able to finish basically we watched 8 episodes yeah it was 8 episodes um in seattle and then i got back and I watched the rest of them uh, that Friday and Saturday that I got back and it's just it's just fire I would highly recommend it Um, if you're looking for if you are really into action and fighting which you know there's nothing wrong with that I know gatekeepers like to think people who like action anime are simple-minded or whatever but people like what they like and if you're looking for in action anime and by the way i'm not one of those people i gatekeeping is one of my biggest pet peeves i've hated that shit since i was a teenager i think people just they like what they like i might disagree with them we might have debates about it but i'm not gonna you know question your fandom or try to prove my real fandom you know by uh pretending that i'm more exquisite in terms of my taste than somebody else i hate that Um, But if you're somebody who likes action, who likes powers seen being used, great animation, um, cool characters, and it's not, you know, but you're looking for something a little bit different that's not of the Dragon Ball Z type and stuff like that. And Dragon Ball Z is legendary. But there's, you know, you could tell there's, there's some anime that try to copy that and stuff like that. Um I would, I would highly recommend Jujutsu Kaisen and I really cannot wait to see what comes up in season two. That's, that's going to be one where I'm just going to be an anime only for that. Um, I don't usually read manga. Um, I've probably read like three. Um, but this is one where I'm just going to be anime only because I know with an action show like this, obviously you, you want to see movement and fights and all that stuff. Um, and also it's an interesting story and it looks like we're just scratching the surface of it. So very excited about that. Uh, so I, I'd highly recommend it to anybody who is into that medium um, or anybody who, you know, just likes to see cool shit. Uh, but jujutsu kaisen highly recommend i haven't watched as much anime this year as opposed to uh you know watching other stuff and you know just overall being busy but um that that would probably be my anime of the year so far um my buddy said that earlier but i i am a i am inclined to agree with him on that uh it, it i hadn't binged a show like that in a while and that is definitely something I would tell anybody that is in my circle or in my life to watch so Jujutsu Kaisen it's on Verve it's on Crunchyroll it's very awesome uh by the way the music is also great I was watching the Home Run Derby the other day well I really only watched the first two rounds of the Home Run Derby because um Otani got eliminated early I know Alonzo Pete Alonzo was a monster but I just I'm sorry I lost interest after um Otani got knocked out early but uh the walk up music they used for Otani that's actually one of the that's actually the ending credits uh for Jujutsu Kaisen um, and the music's really good okay now I'm nerding out too much but you know whatever it's my podcast I get to do what I want um but Jujutsu Kaisen highly recommend 9 9 out of 10 10 out of 10 Uh, for uh, season one is off to a good start okay so that is it for today's episode of the sly hooper podcast i thank you for listening um sorry that it got a little sad to start the show but i would be remiss if i didn't remember the important things in my life and my dog was one of the important things in my life and had to mention something off the top Thank you for listening to my thoughts on the finals. Um, Spread the word to anybody you know and love to listen to this podcast. Leave a five-star rating. Leave a review, a like, whatever. Send a pigeon carrier to one of your loved ones and tell them to listen to the Sly Hooper podcast. It would be much appreciated. There is going to be more stuff coming out. Um, Especially, it's going to be... uh, I got stuff to plan, and I am fully intending to following through on this, and uh, there's going to be more episodes, going to be working on more YouTube videos as I, you know, learn how to become a better editor, a video editor, and things of that nature. The YouTube channel is where it all started, and uh, I want to uh, grow this thing. And now that I'm back from vacation and refreshed, although I just got hit with some awful news to start when i came back um life goes on and i'm ready to hit the ground running so thank you for listening and until the next time deuces.